Okay, so we're going to continue our series in basic Christian beliefs. And um, uh, I'm skipping over angels, demons, and Satan. We'll take that on next week or the week after. And uh, we're gonna, I'm going to be talking today about heaven and hell. And um, a lot of really bad preaching has gone on the past uh, probably 1,700 years in the church on that topic. So hopefully we'll clarify a few things. But let's go to the Lord one more time in prayer uh, that he anoints uh, me to preach his word. And Father, in Jesus' precious name, we love you, Lord. We love your people and we love your word. And so I pray, Lord, for the, for the sake of the people that are here, for the sake of this church, for the sake of those who will listen to the sermon online, for the, the sake uh, of those who will listen to it uh, on radio, I pray, Lord, that you would cancel the man. You've called fallible men to proclaim your infallible truth. And so I pray, Lord, that you would anoint me with your spirit. You would cancel the man, fill me with your spirit so that I would proclaim your truth and that I would not lead anyone astray. You, knew, you know, Lord, like, like all men, I've led people astray in many different areas. But the proclamation of your word is so vital, Lord. And so I pray, Lord, just anoint me to proclaim your truth. Open hearts and minds, including my own, to receive truth from your word and empower us for your glory to apply these truths to our lives so we could be all that you called us to be. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Okay, so we're talking about basic Christian beliefs, the beliefs that all Christians should hold. And uh, we talked about the doctrine of the Trinity, that the one true eternal creator God is three persons, that he created everything else that exists. He created it out of nothing. He himself is uncreated and eternal. Uh, we, we said that the Bible is God's perfect word, without error, the 66 books of the Bible. That man is fallen and sinful, we cannot save ourselves, that salvation is a free gift. It's by God's grace alone, we accept it through faith alone, in Jesus alone, okay? Anytime somebody tells you you need something more than Jesus, that's not the true gospel, okay? So we trust in Jesus alone. And um, I'm telling you, American church is not doing a good job on that. You know, every time we, we joke around, you know, just with Jesus and a cup of coffee in the morning, we can get through the day. But, uh, but the fact of the matter is in spiritual issues, we act like we need more than Jesus. No, we're complete in Christ. And uh, we study the word to learn from God's word how to serve our king, King Jesus. We talked about the deity of Christ, that Jesus is God the Son become a man, and he was born of the Virgin Mary. He died on the cross as a substitute sacrifice for our sins. He bodily rose from the dead to conquer death for us, and he will return. Uh, I don't think Bill Gates thinks Jesus is going to return. I don't think Klaus Schwab of the World Economic Forum thinks he's going to return. I don't think the guy living in the White House thinks he's going to return. I mean, if the, if the leaders of this world really thought 
King Jesus was coming back, I think we'd see a lot different behavior coming from those guys. And right now, they're, they're pushing around the church. They're bullying us. And they're trying to get us to back down. Okay? And uh, the day might come when the leaders of this church might get carted away. So it's next man up. Eventually, you're going to shut down the whole church. And it's going to have to go back to house churches. Uh, but the king is coming back. We live to proclaim the whole meaning of life is to know Christ and to make him known. And so at the worst, when I look at the news and see it's getting worse and worse, I just think, okay, that might mean less and less time. So we got to be more vigilant in getting the word out. But the king is coming back. We, we talked about the last two weeks. We are the church. We are God's assembly the assembly, the called-out assembly from this sinful world, and we're not called to just hang out and be a social club. We're called to represent the King of kings and the Lord of lords who happens to be the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Peter, Paul, and John. He's my God. He's your God. And, um, and we are the church. Let the church be the church. You know, the, our government thinks it's the head of the church. The government can say uh, uh, the church is what, non-essential? Who do you think you are, you know? You know, Psalm 2, God laughs at the leaders of this world when they don't bend the knee to King Jesus. And so just keep in mind, you know, Jesus, when he said the gates of Hades will not prevail against the church, he was declaring war on Satan and his kingdom. And so now we're going to talk about heaven and hell, and then we'll talk about angels, demons, and Satan afterward. I've got the handouts there. And so, you know, questions come up. Uh, is there life after death? Well, the Bible says, yeah, there's life after death. If so, where do we go after we die? Okay. Now, the, the, the simple answer is, well, those who trust in Jesus for salvation... Now, the, the, the simple lie is the good people go to heaven and the bad people go to hell. We're all bad people. So it's kind of like the, the bad redeemed people <laughs> go to heaven and then Jesus gets rid of all that badness. And the bad unredeemed people go to hell. That's the simple answer. Those who trust in Jesus, the Lamb's book of life, go to heaven. Those who reject Jesus uh, go to hell. So that's the simple answer. The problem is, even in the, the King James Version of the Bible, we sometimes translated the word Sheol in the Old Testament, where the passage that Chris was reading from Psalm 9, in the New King James, this is based on the, the, the King James and the Greek manuscripts that went into it and all this other stuff, but they chose, the translators chose to translate Sheol there as hell. They shouldn't. They shouldn't. Um, also, the, the, the King James Version translates, uh, Peter uses the word Tartarus in Second Peter about certain angels that have gone too far. That's the only time it's ever used in the scriptures. That should, 
I think uh, what, he, what he calls Tartarus there sounds an awful lot like what the Bible calls the abyss. So I'm gonna, what I'm going to do, I'm going to start out by reading Revelation chapter 20 because you get all these different places mentioned. And then you see they're not the same thing. They're not the same places, okay? So uh, I want us to be clear. The answer, where, where do we go after we die? The answer is actually more complex than many Christians believe, okay? And so first, I'm just going to define some of the words like Sheol, the word that was in the passage today that Chris was reading from Psalm 9. Sheol, as I study the scriptures, all Sheol means is the grave. That's all it means is the grave. Well, guess what? You can use the word grave as a metaphor for the hereafter. So you got both saints and unsaved people going to Sheol, okay? Now that led, that and I think the misinterpretation of uh, a few other Bible passages led many leaders in the early church after the apostles to draw the conclusion that before Jesus rose from the dead, if a believer died, he went to the comfort compartment of Hades. There's a comfort compartment, they thought, and a, um, uh, a place of suffering compartment of Hades. And then Jesus, when he rose from the dead, set free those in the comfort compartment and brought them to heaven. I don't know why God would take Enoch to be with him. Enoch walked with God, and then God took him with him. I don't know why God would do that if he put him in a compartment still separated from God, okay? And so uh, so I think that those passages are not really the proper interpretation of those passages, I should say, are not really correct. I just think that Sheol does not equal Hades. And Hades is a place where the unsaved go, after they die. So Sheol is just the Old Testament word for the grave, but it's symbolic of the hereafter. So it'll talk about the deceased believers in comfort and the deceased um, uh, unsaved in torment. Now, the Greek word Hades is a temporary place of conscious torment for the unsaved. They'll eventually end up in hell, the eternal lake of fire. So it's very problematic that the King James Version translated Hades as hell sometimes. Like when, when Jesus said that um, the gates of hell will not prepare, uh, prevail uh, against my church, he never said that. He said the gates of Hades will not prevail, okay? And, um, and he went to Caesarea Philippi, Matthew 16, 13 to 19. When Jesus said, who do you say I am? Peter said, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, hey, flesh and blood, man didn't reveal that to you, but my father who's in heaven revealed that to you. You're Peter, and upon this rock, I'll build my church. And a disagreement among Protestants and Roman Catholics and all, what all that entails. I don't believe Peter was infallible, okay? I do think he was a fallible leader in the early church, and God gave him, him and the other apostles the keys to open the kingdom by preaching the gospel on the Feast of Pentecost. And Peter was the first to preach not only to the Jews the gospel, uh, but also to the Samaritans and the Gentiles, or at least he was there for the baptism with the Holy Spirit of the Samaritans. Uh, but whatever the case, Jesus actually said the gates of Hades will not prevail against the church, okay? 
And Hades is a place of, for the departed, a temporary place of punishment for departed unsaved. Those who die who are unsaved and Satan and his demons are in charge of that. So Jesus went to the headquarters of the false god Pan, the guy with the horns and sometimes represented as a goat and hoofed feet and the tail. And the early church said, man, it's Pan is as out of all the pagan false gods, Pan comes the closest to what Satan is like. And so that's why nowadays we draw pictures of Satan with, uh, with horns and a pitchfork and a pointy tail and all this other stuff and hooves, okay? But Jesus is declaring war on Satan's kingdom. Satan and his demons are in charge of Hades. They are not in charge of hell. Gehenna, the lake of fire. Satan is going to probably get the lowest place in hell, Okay? Uh, you want to know who rules over over hell? Um, kind of a spoiler alert, but um, Revelation 14, 9 to 11. Um, in fact, let, let's just read that real quick. Revelation 14, 9 to 11. This is to, about those who accept the mark of the beast. During the tribulation period, the 666 on the right hand or the forehead. Hey, we got government leaders who say, look, if you don't get this intrusive, medical, untested procedure, I'm not anti-vaccine, okay? But I just think people ought to make that decision, not the government, okay? Uh, but we actually had a mayor in New York City at the time, the big guy, de Blasio. Um, you know, he when he would walk by in a public place because all the all those police officers were turned their backs on him. So that was a, that was a giveaway um, uh, about which side he was on. But he didn't want anybody to be able to eat at a restaurant, go to a store. No financial transactions um, unless they had proof of vaccination. So we're not far from that kind of thinking where you got to get either a tattoo on your right hand or forehead or a microchip implant or whatever it is and you can't buy or sell. We are witnessing not only what I would call the death of man, where humans are being treated like subhumans by the government. Forget about the right to life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. We got, we got wannabe globalist leaders who don't even think we have the right to life. They want to depopulate the planet. And, um, and so that kind of thinking is going on. Well, in the last days, there will be the mark of the beast. You can't buy or sell without it. What about those who get the mark of the beast? Revelation 14, 9 to 11. Then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast, that's the Antichrist, and his image, the image of him that comes to life, it's probably AI, cyborg, I don't know what, and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation, he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night who worship the beast and his image and whoever rece receives the mark of his name. So we say that, that the eternal lake of fire is a place where there'll be no rest, day and night, forever and ever. That's why I debated Chris Date, a friend of mine, on the issue of, 
is, is hell, is that just an annihilation of the wicked and they cease to exist? A view that's becoming popular? The Jehovah's Witnesses held to it. The cultist Jehovah's Witnesses. Seventh-day Adventists held to it. And now it's becoming popular in evangelical churches that non-believers on the Judgment Day will cease to exist. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible says that you reject the Lord, and in this passage here, you reject the, you accept the mark of the beast and deny Christ and worship the Antichrist, um, you will have no rest forever and ever. The smoke of your torment goes up forever and ever, but you'll have no rest day and night forever and ever. But it's in the presence of who? Who's in charge? Who are the drill instructors, if you will, calling the shots? It says right there, in the presence of the holy angels and of the Lamb. Okay? So you got to understand, if you're in the eternal lake of fire, hell, forever and ever, you'll be separated from God's fellowshipping presence. But you have to remember, God is omnipresent. He's everywhere present just because he's God. So there's uh, a sovereign presence, a judging presence, but there's no fellowshipping presence of God in hell. So we got to get away from this idea that Satan rules over hell. When Satan's in hell, you won't hear from him anymore. Lake of fire, he'll be, he'll, he'll be insignificant. He'll be tormented day and night forever and ever. So Hades is a temporary place of conscious torment for the unsaved. They'll eventually, at the great white throne judgment, that's when they get thrown into the eternal lake of fire. Um, look, I want us to read Revelation 20, the entire chapter, so we can see all of these different locations, the different places together. And sometimes I get slammed by some theologians uh, premillennialists would agree with me. Anybody who believes Jesus will literally return before the thousand years and will literally reign on earth, they're not going to slam me on this. Uh, but that, those are the ones that we take this passage literally. I mean, Revelation 19, starting at verse 11, it talks about the second coming of Christ, riding a white stallion amidst the clouds with all his power and glory. And he's going to shepherd the nations with an iron rod. Then he defeats the Antichrist and the false prophet and throws them alive into the lake of fire. That's the, that's, those are the first two people who are going to end up in the lake of fire. As far as what the Bible has said, the Bible hasn't mentioned anybody else being there. So I don't even think that anybody's in the lake of fire right now until the Antichrist and the false prophet get thrown in there alive at Jesus' return. Okay, then we pick it up at chapter 20. Now Jesus has returned. He wins the battle of Armageddon. Uh, Revelation 20, starting at verse 1. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit. That's the abyss. And nowhere in the Bible does it say humans go into the abyss. Only certain fallen angels that have gone too far. They crossed the boundary, and God said, enough is enough, and changed them up in the abyss. They don't roam freely. Okay? Satan, Satan still has access into heaven. Just read Job chapters 1 and 2. Read the book of Zechariah, where he is, Satan accuses Zerubbabel, the governor, and Joshua, the high priest, before God's throne room. Book of Revelation chapter 12 says that Satan accuses the brethren day and night before God's throne room. 
But Peter says he also roams freely on the planet Earth, seeking whom he may devour. Okay? Tell you, you take a stand for Jesus, it's not, Peter's not the only one that Satan demanded to sift like wheat. Anybody who takes a stand for Jesus and sells out for Jesus, you got a target on your back. Okay? And so he's, he roams freely on earth, but he also has access to heaven. It's only halfway through the tribulation period, what we commonly call the tribulation period. I actually think the tribulation period is the only the last three and a half years. Nowhere does the Bible call all seven years of the seven-year peace treaty signed by the Antichrist and many nations. Nowhere does the Bible call the first three and a half years the tribulation. But, um, but Satan and his angels get kicked out of heaven by Michael the archangel. Just read Revelation chapter 12. First time they leave heaven, they come to earth and try to kill the Christ child. The second time, they don't leave heaven voluntarily. They get kicked out. They lose a war to Michael the archangel and his angels, and then they come to earth, and uh, they, they uh, persecute the woman, the nation of Israel, for three and a half years before the return uh, of Christ. And, um, and so Satan still has access to, in fact, in fact just look at Revelation 12, getting way, up, way off track here, but Revelation chapter 12, Verse 9, when Michael the archangel whoops on him and says, so the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who he was the serpent of old who deceived Adam and even the garden, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with them. Then look at verse 12. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you having great wrath. So I see that the last half of the tribulation period, uh, nowhere does the Bible call that the wrath of God. The wrath comes when you have the sun dark and the moon doesn't get the light, stars fall from the sky, and that's immediately after the tribulation. Just compare Matthew 24, 29 to 31, and Revelation, the last portion of Revelation chapter 6, the sixth seal. God's wrath follows the tribulation but it's the wrath of Satan for the devil has come down to you having great wrath because he knows that he has a short time. Okay. And, um, and so Satan right now uh, roams freely and yeah, he and his demons, they are in charge of Hades. A lot of people claim to have had visions of being in hell or, um, dreams of being in hell or near-death experiences and stuff like that. And uh, some of those might really have been real occurrences, but I think those people need to study their Bibles because they're misinterpreting. Satan and his demons aren't going to be poking you in hell, okay? They're going to have the lowest place in hell. And so that would be Hades. So right now, if a non-believer dies, they haven't trusted your salvation they have continued conscious existence, but it's existence of torment in a place called Hades, okay? And um, that's why you see the Lazarus, the beggar, and the rich man able to talk to each other from across the gulf, okay? And the guy's in torment, and he's not going to get a second chance, 
Okay? And uh, so let's get back to Revelation 20. Uh, so the, Jesus returns. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. If you're not a premillennialist, if you don't interpret this uh, literally, you think Satan is bound right now. Let me tell you, Satan is not bound right now. Okay? And he cast him into the bottomless pit, the abyss, and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more. He's deceiving them right now till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. So you have the second coming of Christ, and then Satan will be bound for a thousand years. Verse 4, And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast, that's the Antichrist, demon-possessed ruler of the last days, who have not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Now, what's really good about that, this is not the only passage about Jesus reigning on earth. I mean, this passage, I think it's mentioned six times, the thousand years. So, I mean, it's God's, I don't see why we should turn that into a metaphor. He's telling us over and over again, a thousand years, a thousand years, okay? Um, but there's other passages that talk about Messiah returning and reigning on earth. In fact, the 12 apostles will sit on 12 tribes over the 12 thrones of Israel. David's going to be the king over Israel. So there's going to even be Old Testament saints with the New Testament saints, with the church reigning with Christ uh, for the thousand years. And we're going to have our immortal bodies. We'll talk about that a little later. Um, but the rest of the dead did not live again until a thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. So the first resurrection of um, God's people occurs when Jesus returns. Then you have the resurrection of the saints, those who are alive and remain get changed in the twinkling of an eye. We put on our glorified bodies, but the, uh, the where, where do the rest of the dead go that didn't trust in Jesus? They go to Hades. They're going to be in this place of conscious torment in Hades during that thousand years. Verse 6, blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death, you know, the first death is physical death. The second death is eternal spiritual death, okay? Over such, the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. You know, sometimes, you know, the anti-Christian wannabe tyrants, they act like they're so tough and they're so powerful and stuff, you know? You want to look at somebody who's going to get real power? In fact, you've got that real power right now. John says, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Don't be intimidated by the wannabe tyrants. You know, I don't need, I, I'll be honest, I can't even understand that. Maybe it's because I'm saved and a new creation. Of Christ. I can't even understand why Bill Gates would care. Because he knows it's bogus science. Not really saving the planet. I don't even know why he would care that Phil Fernandez eats hamburgers. 
and drives a car. It's like, dude, you got more yachts than I have fingers. I mean, why would you even care? But there's this, this lust for power, this demonic lust for power that is going on. We're going to, you want, you want real power. You bend the knee to King Jesus. And the king is coming back. And we might look weak. We might get trampled on. We probably will get trampled on by this world and the leaders of this world. But when they trample on you, you pray for them. And you feel sorry for them. Okay? Because we know how this ends. And uh, they think they're powerful. Wait till King Jesus, the all-powerful ruler of the universe, returns. Verse 7, so when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison. So he gets released from the bottomless pit, from the abyss, and will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, whose number is as the sand of the sea. Who are all these people that are rebelling? Those are, I, I think when Jesus comes back and wins the battle of Armageddon, I don't think he's going to slay the little children who aren't saved. He might not even slay the adults who aren't saved and they've already accepted the mark. There's no salvation for them. Um, they might be imprisoned and all, but whatever the case, there will be some with natural bodies. I think our first job in the millennial kingdom when we get our glorified bodies, our immortal bodies, will be to train these little people about King Jesus. We can go to Jerusalem and King Jesus will reign and we could point his holes in his hands and his feet and tell them how, how they got there. And, um, but there's going to be people, as there are Christians today who long for the second coming of, of Christ to the planet Earth, there's going to be people during the thousand-year reign of Christ who are going to be longing for the return of Satan because they don't want to obey King Jesus who's shepherding the nations with an iron rod. Now, when a thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison Go out to deceive the nations, Gog and Magog, and those who follow him are as the sand of the sea. They went up on the breath of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints. So Jesus will rule on planet earth and the church will reign with them. And the beloved city, that's Jerusalem. Uh, Jesus will reign from Jerusalem. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone. That's what we commonly call hell, what Jesus called Gehenna, the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into what? The lake of fire. Hades is not the lake of fire. People who are in Hades get ready. You know, the Bible teaches, even you go back to Daniel 12 even. It's not just believers who get resurrection bodies. It's non-believers get resurrection bodies too. But their resurrection bodies are not suited for eternal life. They're suited for eternal torment. Eternal death. 
And, um, and death in Hades were cast in the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Then it goes on from there talking about a new heaven and a new earth. Okay. So you've got all of these words mentioned. You got Hades, which is in hell. Everybody's in Hades is going to end up in hell when they stand before King Jesus on the great white throne judgment after Jesus reigns on earth for a thousand years. So Hades is a different place, a temporary place of conscious torment for the unsaved, but they'll end up in the eternal lake of fire, what the Bible calls hell. Um, and so that's the lake of fire, eternal conscious torment for the unsaved and fallen angels where it will never ever end okay and of course heaven is a different place heaven is the place of eternal comfort with the lord jesus where believers and unfallen angels will serve and worship jesus for all eternity you know i had that atheist that i debated i didn't know he was an atheist i thought he he had a, some kind of bible show and it was a live internet radio show and so i thought he was a believer he never told me he wasn't and about 10 minutes into it, I realized this guy's a, a fire-breathing atheist. And he was getting really nasty with me, trying to verbally push me around. So I kind of, you know, the old Phil Fernandez came out, I'm kind of ashamed to say. And, and so I kind of got verbally nasty with him, and we went back and forth. And he was saying, God can't be just if he's going to send, if he sends people to hell forever and ever. And it's like, blah, 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 blah. So... Eventually, he said, well, what is heaven like? I said, heaven is a place where people voluntarily go there to worship and serve Jesus forever and ever and ever. And he said, uh, I'd never want to go there. And I said, oh, okay, so then God doesn't send you to hell. You sent yourself. You know, I mean, this is not, this is not Monty Hall. Let's make a deal. Now, only, only people over 60 know what I'm talking about right now. Others, you computer people, you could talk to us afterwards, and we might or might not tell you what this uh, illustration is. But this is not Monty Hall, let's make a deal. Where does the door number three? When everything settles, it's either going to be heaven or it's going to be hell. Okay? And I'm sorry, Mr. Atheist, you don't want to bow before King Jesus. You don't want to submit to him. You want to just ignore all the evidence that he's given us that's your choice. God gave you free will. So if that's the choice, you want to spend eternity without fellowship with God, you have to understand God is the source of all true joy. You're choosing to spend eternity without joy. Okay? How many times do we think, you know what? I'd be happy if I got this. And whatever this is, it happens to be outside of God's will. So we go and get this, and then we wonder, gee, I'm really not happy. Okay? Joy, true, lasting joy, which is not happiness, not the roll up and down roller coaster. You're happy when things go your way. You're sad when it doesn't go your way. True joy is being content with what you have and experiencing uh, an eternal happiness because Jesus is king. You know, and I'm, I'm telling you, we're going to have access to God's joy. If, they, if there's like food shortages, which I don't see how there can't be in the near future because what happened the last couple of years, 
If there's food shortages in the future, we don't even know where our next meal is coming from. And if, if the economy just bottoms out and we don't have jobs, and, and if you're a city guy like me, I don't even know how to kill something, let alone cook it, okay? I'm going to be hanging around with the guys who actually grew up in this state. You know, I grew up Essex County, New Jersey, you know. Um, we couldn't even kill squirrels without getting in trouble out there. And, um, but if everything bottoms out and you feel like there's no hope, you got to remind yourself, our hope is in Jesus. Okay? Jesus is our joy. And, um, but people, you know, people choose to reject Jesus and uh, they choose this place called hell. I think what I'm going to do is I'm just going to take another 10 minutes and just finish up talking about hell. And then, uh, and then you'll have to come back to hear about heaven next week and, um, so that I don't end on a, on a sour note. And, um, but um, uh, in Revelation 19.20, the, the Antichrist and the false prophet, they get thrown into the lake of fire, alive into the lake of fire. And then in Revelation 20, verse 10, we just read that, the devil who deceived them a thousand years later was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are. And they will be tormented day and night forever. So they're still conscious a thousand years later. And it goes on and on and on. And um, uh, I mean, just, just think about it, never-ending suffering. My wife's in a lot of pain. She's doing a lot better now than she was two weeks ago. She's in a lot of pain. Imagine if it was never-ending pain. You know, that would be rough. And I, um, I never watched the movie. I don't know. Some comedy, there's certain comedy movies that you just tell by the title. There's going to be a lot of garbage in it, so I don't watch them. But Frank Beckwith, a friend of mine who teaches at Baylor, Roman Catholic philosopher, he to, to show what an infinite series of events is like and to show what eternity is like being in eternal torment, he brought up an illustration from a comedy where these two guys, I don't know what they're, I don't know if it was Ted and something or I don't know what they're, Bill and Ted, is it? Is it uh, whatever the case, I don't know if it was them or whatever, but he said these two guys in this illustration he gave, <clears throat> these two guys were in hell, and they, of course they got Satan ruling over hell, and hell's operational now, and people are there, so really bad theology, but Francis Beckley wasn't talking about that, but he was just trying to show eternity is really long, you know, and... uh but uh, Satan tells him, I'll let you out of hell uh, if you do an infinite, when you do an infinite number of push-ups, okay? And uh, so one of the guy's buddy tried to encourage him by saying, do the girl push-ups, they're easier. <laughs> and it doesn't matter. An infinite number never really comes about. It's eternal. We're going to see what Jesus says about hell. I'm, I'm telling you, we, we, we need more preaching about hell because when you realize what Jesus said about hell, you wouldn't even want your worst enemy to go there. Okay? So look at Mark chapter 9. Jesus calls hell Gehenna there. 
right outside of Jerusalem was a garbage dump. 24-7, they kept the flames going. I don't know if they had three guys, eight-hour shifts, and a weekend staff like America. More than likely, they probably had overlapping 12-and-a-half-hour shifts and just two guys and probably six, six days a week, if not seven days a week. But they kept the fires going. And so Jesus said in, um, in Mark 9, starting at verse 43, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter into life maimed rather than having two hands to go to hell into the fire that shall never be quenched where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Okay? Um, I'm telling you, if there's anything out there, I'm not just talking about evil things, like, like murder, stealing, adultery. There might be something that's not a bad thing. Soccer, football, okay? Um, good tasting food. There might be something that's actually not a bad thing. But if there's anything, whether it's a bad thing or a good thing, if you love that good thing more than you love Jesus, get rid of it. Get it out of your life, okay? Verse 45, and if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame rather than having two feet to be cast into hell, into the fire that shall never be quenched, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. You, you, you kind of get the impression Jesus is saying, don't play games with me. You call yourself one of my followers and you can play games with me and act like obedience to Jesus is optional? Verse 47, and if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hellfire where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. The word in the Greek there for hell is Gehenna. Jesus looked at that garbage dump and he pointed. And he said, that's where, what hell is like. Where the, your worm does not die. And the fire is not quenched. I don't know. I, if Jesus wasn't telling us that, etern- that hell is eternal conscious torment, I don't know what words he would choose. I mean, in Matthew uh, 25, look at Matthew 25. Verse 30, he talks about the parable of the talents and cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Why? If hell is an eternal conscious torment, if it's the cessation of existence, why describe it as weeping and gnashing of teeth? Okay. Why say the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched? Well, who cares if you don't exist? Why say in Revelation you get no rest day and night forever and ever? It seems that the lake of fire is the same kind of place 
for the Antichrist, the false prophet, and Satan, as it is for us who will be tormented day and night forever and ever if your name's not in the Lamb's Book of Life. How do you get your name in the Lamb's Book of Life? You trust in Jesus alone for salvation. Okay? I mean, it's getting harder and harder to preach the good news in America because you're considered intolerant if you bring up the bad news. But if nobody believes the bad news, you know, be, ah, everybody goes to heaven. No. Jesus said, why it is the path that leads to destruction and many take it. Narrow is the path that leads to life and few take it. It doesn't sound like everybody gets saved. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Oh, all religions lead to God. No. No. And so we, we, we're going to have to be a little bit louder about the bad news. We're sinners. We can't save ourselves. And there is a place that Jesus called Gehenna, the lake of fire and brimstone. It is a real place. Okay, and people try to spiritualize it. Well, then why would God raise both the saved and the unsaved, give them resurrection bodies suited for eternal conscious torment? You know, I mean, we, we are so programmed. It's like, I'd like to share Jesus with my friend. But I don't want to be intolerant. I don't want to be pushy. I mean, that would be like saying somebody's walking towards the edge of a cliff blindfolded. Say, well, I don't want to take the blindfold off my friend because it will embarrass him that he's walking towards the edge of the cliff. Who cares if it embarrasses him? You know, the most humiliating thing I ever heard in my life was when an ex-convict and two of his buddies told me, you deserve the flames of hell. The first 21 years of your life, Phil Fernandez, you've earned a place in hell. And you're going to go there unless you acknowledge that you're a sinner and you can't save yourself and you need to trust in Jesus alone for salvation. That was the most humiliating thing I ever heard in my life. And you know what? At that point, I've been going through so much, looking for meaning. Life was so boring. I thought I was going to be going to Iran to fight, to free the hostages. I didn't know Reagan was going to get elected while I was in boot camp. And Khomeini was going to, I told Khomeini he was going to cough up the hostages. And so I got the most boring job on earth, guarding nuclear weapons. The bin Ladens of this world do not mess with Marines guarding nuclear weapons. There's too many of us. They're too well-trained. So it was a very boring. I, I thought I was going to have a nervous breakdown. And I was looking for meaning. One thing led to another. And then I started reading the Bible, reading the book of Revelation, and um, started realizing that I think, my, I think my father was right. I think Jesus is who he said he was. And right around that time, got invited to a prayer meeting. And these guys confronted me with the gospel message. And so they told me the most humili humiliating thing I ever heard in my life. You know, they basically, they're telling me, Phil Fernandez, you are a loser. And you deserve to be eternally lost. But there is a hope. 
because God the Son loved you, became a man, died on the cross for your sins, rose from the dead to conquer death for you, and he is willing to save you, willing and able, if you trust in him um, for salvation. Um, we, we, let me tell you, tell people the bad news so that they'll see their need for the good news, okay? Um, if we don't bring hell back in our preaching, uh, people aren't going to see the need. Aren't even going to see their need for heaven. They're going to just think it's all, it's all automatic. And um, now in Revelation 21, you know, the, the, new, the new heavens and new earth, and uh, you have the new heavens coming down to earth, and you have the saved that are there and unfallen angels with Jesus, and, um, but outside are the non-believers and the, and the demons, and they can't get in, okay? Eternal conscious torment. I want to close with Matthew 10, verse 28. Matthew 10, verse 28. Matthew 10, verse 28. You know, and, and Jesus also said, I believe it's in Mark 8, maybe Mark 9. Um, I think it's in Mark 8. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Feel sorry for the power-hungry wannabe dictators with the World Economic Forum and the Great Reset and President Biden's Build Back Better, where it's a basic, a global redistribution of wealth, and they make it sound like they're going to take the, the wealth of the American middle class and give it to poor, starving people. No, they're not. They're going to take what little wealth everybody has, and they're going to give it to themselves. Okay? And... Um, and so as this goes on, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? I'm telling you, Klaus Schwab and Bill Gates, Jesus is real. And you, and, you, and you will bow. Bill Gates will bow before him. Now, he can do it voluntarily now, and I pray for that. I'd love to see Bill Gates in heaven someday. But if he's not going to bow voluntarily now, he will bow due to the sheer force of Jesus' power when he returns. Every knee will bow before King Jesus. And so let's close with uh, Matthew 10, verse 28. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Brothers and sisters, I mean, when you got a president who wants to hire, what is it, 87,000? IRS agents and arm them. And then he acts like he's doing that to keep us free. Uh, I mean, you got the IRS is bigger than the Marine Corps with all that. Now, there's some, a lot of politicians who are taking control of Congress don't want to fund that. But um, 
you might say, man, I fear the government. Look, don't fear those who could kill the body and cannot kill the soul. God's word is being truthful. God's word is not saying, don't worry. Don't worry, Chris. Okay? Don't worry, Tim. The, the, the powers, that they can't, they can't physically kill you. If God allows it, the powers of this world can physically kill us. But they can't kill our soul. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. This is why the Bible says, even in the Old Testament, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And it tells us the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. See, you can't even, you can't even begin to be wise in the eternal issues unless you acknowledge there is a God and I'm not him. Okay, and then you got to fear him and say, I need to get with his program. Uh, I can't earn my way to him. And then you got to come to him on bended knee and trust in the Lord Jesus for salvation. Let me tell you, the powerful people of the world, in the world's view, they are going to come down in the near future. They're doing it all over the world and... Um, Europe, not quite as bad as communist regimes and Islamic regimes, uh, but there's an underground church growing uh, in China, in uh, Muslim countries, in communist countries, and um, but that's going to come to America. It's coming to Europe. It's starting to come to America, and uh, we're going to have the choice. We can fear them. And back down. Don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm not encouraging you to be a bad citizen. I think we should be the best citizens. But it just, when, it, when, when you reach a point, when a society reaches a point where it says, you know, like Isaiah says, woe to those who call evil good and good evil, where all of a sudden the good citizens are the bad guys, we're getting locked up. And then the regular criminals, they get released that night without bail. Okay, um... Things are going to come down really hard on the church in the near future. I've been preaching on this since the 80s. They thought I was a nut. I preached on it in the 90s. They thought I was a nut. I preached on it in the early 2000s. They thought I was a nut. I preached on it in the 2010s. They thought I was a nut. I continued to preach on it in 2020, and then I started getting phone calls and emails. My pastor buddies, my professor buddies apologizing. Some of them, I didn't even know they called me a kook. They were calling me a kook behind my back. So he's a nice guy. That friend is a nice guy, but he's a little out there, okay? C.S. Lewis said it was coming down in the 1940s, the abolition of man. Francis Schaeffer said it was coming down. It's the, the death of God in the 19th century. Western civilization rejecting God led to the death of truth, morality, and meaning in the 20th century which C.S. Lewis and Francis Schaeffer said would lead to the death of man in the 21st century. So, you, you know, I preached, I, I gave a lecture, the coming death of Western civilization in 1998. I'm not talking about the coming death of Western civilization anymore. I'm not talking about something that's future. Just turn on your television set or turn on your internet. You are watching the death right now. It's not coming. It's here. Okay? 
We need life support. We're not even on life support. And we Christians can bring the life of Christ uh, to others. But what God's word says, look, you know, God's word speaks to all. It speaks to me. God is saying, look, Phil, don't fear them. I'm like, well, they, they can kill me, Lord. Jesus is like, yeah. They killed a lot of guys and gals that I've loved throughout the centuries. America doesn't have an exemption from that. But Lord, I don't, I don't want to die a horrible death. It's like Jesus said, well, who does? You think I enjoyed what was going on for six hours on the cross and the scourging before? We're either his people or we're not. And so we can't fear man who can only destroy the body but not the soul. We fear God. And, and then John says, perfect love cast out all fear. Start out a relationship with God. I'm going to trust in Jesus for salvation because I don't want to go to hell. I'm afraid of hell. And then that becomes a personal love relationship. You obey him because you love him. You serve others because you love them. But we don't fear man. You know, we got to say what our founding father said, no king but Jesus. We'll be good citizens. We'll obey the good laws. But you tell us to stop preaching Jesus, we must obey God rather than men. And uh, there's a place called hell, Gehenna the lake of fire. And if you're trusting in Jesus for salvation, Jesus saved you from that. The least you can do is live for King Jesus. Oh, he is powerful. He is all powerful. He is good. He is loving. And that's easy to say right now, Sunday morning behind the pulpit. How easy is it going to say if we're in a cool, damp prison cell? How easy is it going to say if they're beating on us? I've been listening to this song lately, and part of the song goes, uh, all my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so, so good. And with every breath I'm able, I will sing of the goodness of God. I'm telling you, church, sing of the goodness of God. Sing louder now than at any other time. Because the forces of evil are gathering right now against the kingdom of the Lord Jesus. And it's going to look ugly. And the days are going to get dark. But we know our king will return. And he will take his stand upon the earth. And he will shepherd the nations with an iron rod. And so we got to sing of the goodness of God. We got to preach Jesus. That's why you exist. I don't care if you're hammering nails, typing out documents, or you preach in a church. Whether through your words or your actions, you preach Jesus. That's why we exist. We preach Jesus and build his kingdom and not our own. Hell is real. It is a horrible place. There is no escape. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for rescuing us from that. Let's close with a word of prayer.
Father, in Jesus' precious name, we thank you, Lord, that if we just trust in you on the divine persuasion, if we just trust in your son, the Lord Jesus, alone for salvation, we thank you that he will save us. It's a free gift. And Jesus took our punishment for us. But I pray, Lord, that we would never have the attitude that because we're saved and we're heaven bound, who cares about everybody else? I pray that we would look at people that we, we see throughout our daily lives and we would not want to see them in Gehenna, the lake of fire. And so I pray, Lord, as we tell people the bad news, we would also tell them the good news, that there is hope and his name is Jesus. There is eternal joy and that place is called heaven. And so we thank you, Father, for sending your Son to be our Savior, to die on the cross for our sins. We thank you for raising him from the dead to conquer death for us. And we thank you for sending, for leaving your Holy Spirit on earth so that we would not be orphans, that he would comfort us and guide us and lead us until that day when your son, the Lord Jesus, takes his stand upon the earth to make things right. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. Well, God bless you, everybody, and we'll, we'll talk about heaven next week, I promise, Lord, Lord willing.